Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, January 17th. We begin with our monthly chat with Police Chief Mark Newfeld. We get the latest on the murder of a Calgary woman which took place earlier this week outside an elementary school. We get the Chief's thoughts on the resources currently available in the city to deal with domestic violence. Next, Rachel Notley will not be leading the NDP into the next provincial election. What legacy will she leave behind and who is the best option to lead the NDP moving forward? We get the thoughts of Lori Williams, political scientist at Mount Royal University. And finally, high food prices remain a concern for Canadians in 2024, and now grocery giant Loblaws has announced they'll be dropping the discounts they offer on some of their products. We discuss the current state of food prices in our country and whether we can expect lower prices at the grocery store anytime soon with Sylvain Charlebois, professor and director of the Agri-Foods Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. Now, I believe we do have him on the line. Very excited for our monthly discussion with Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld, looking at uh, some of the issues facing the city currently and uh, again now into January, uh, the months ahead and 2024. Very good morning to you, Chief Newfeld. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning to you and your listeners. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, Obviously, I want to touch base first and foremost on that tragic, violent incident outside a Calgary school yesterday. Um, it's something that we think does not happen in our city, obviously uh, did happen yesterday. And I want to get your thoughts here, Chief, because during the press conference, Duty Inspector Scott Nielsen said, and I quote, We can tell you that the offender in this incident had been previously charged and had been released by the courts on a no-contact order. I can also tell you that there were active uh, warrant, uh, active warrants rather on the system for the individual. Did uh, this uh, this incident yesterday? Is it a case, and does it underscore that the system failed the woman at the center of this tragedy, Chief? Oh, you know what? I think it's too early to be trying to cast blame here in a situation as tragic as this. Uh, but I think this uh, the point highlights what we've been talking about for quite some time, apparently uh, as it relates to repeat violent offenders. And that is that, you know, like we know that there's a presumption of innocence and we know that the the, uh, the system tries to um, let people out when it can and restrain people the least it possibly can before they go to court. But I think this highlights, you know, that delicate balance between trying to have the least amount of, of restraints, but being effective to protect uh, vulnerable victims. And so um, in this case, obviously, the individual had been charged with violating uh, the, the no-contact order a couple of times. And so I think, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a sad case where um, there will be, um, many of your listeners will know, there's a Family Violence Death Review Committee um, in the province that actually takes cases like this one and looks at them from a systemic standpoint. Uh, at all the various touch points, the criminal justice system, the police, social services, the health system, any, anywhere where um, part of the system would have interfaced with the family, to just to look and see if there's anything that could have been done differently along the way. And it does bring to the forefront, Chief, uh, the issue of domestic violence and uh, domestic violence specifically in the city of Calgary. How big of an issue is it in the city? Well, we're a large city. Uh, we're the third largest uh, municipality in the country, and so it's a big issue. Um, I think the reality of, of this issue is it's a large and complex issue. Um, I think it's an underreported uh, crime, as we know. Um, the good news, though, in Calgary is we have an excellent network of uh, supports for people, including the criminal justice system. The police have good relationships with social service agencies and the courts and the Crown Prosecution Service. So I think those supports are there. I think the the key is to continue to reduce the stigma, to get the information out there, and encourage people to access them. I think that's that's really really big. 
What about the responsibility of the average citizen, Chief, in the sense that, you know, as a neighbor, maybe a family member or a friend, what is our duty and what are the resources available for, for those who might be close to somebody who is in the midst of, of uh, domestic violence? Yeah, well, thanks for saying that, Andrew, because I think we all do have a responsibility. I think, you know, at the end of the day, if as as citizens, after hearing uh, the horrible tragedy that, that occurred yesterday, if anybody popped into your mind that's in your life, whether they're close or far or a co-worker or a family member or whatever, should reach out to that person. And if you if you don't know um, a lot about this issue, you know, you shouldn't feel bad about that, but just know that the resources are out there. I think of... Um, Fear is not love in our city. Um, they developed a website for um, um, outreach for men in relationships, and it was called Men and. It's the men with the ampersand. And uh, I, I, I went on there after they lo- uh, launched that, and I was really super impressed at all that's out there. But I think we have to continue to keep signposting people to the resources that are out there. And there's opportunities to volunteer. There's opportunities, obviously, to contribute to nonprofits and shelters and that type of thing. Uh, but again, if you've got somebody in your life who, um, who you know, just kind of popped into your mind when you heard about this, this terrible situation yesterday, reach out, stay connected, and encourage them to access supports if they need to. Great message. Uh, thanks for your time, uh, Chief. We'll, we'll catch up next month. Awesome. Thanks, Andrew. Have a, have a great day. You too. That is Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld. NDP uh, leader Rachel Notley stepped down, announced she's stepping down as leader of the party. So who's the best option to lead the party into the next provincial election? And what legacy will Rachel Notley leave behind? Joining us to discuss is Lori Williams, Mount Royal University political science uh, scientist. Uh, good morning to you, Lori. Good morning, Andy. Uh, your greatest takeaway uh, Lori, when you heard the news yesterday that Ms. Notley will be stepping down, what was your initial thought? Well, not particularly surprising, um, especially given that Kathleen Ganley posted that uh, that video last week that mm-hmm. seemed to indicate she was running for leader, and she wouldn't have done that without Rachel Notley's support. So, yeah, we knew it was it was coming uh, sooner than later. Uh, Timing-wise, it was not clear when that would happen, uh, but I think what's What's perhaps striking to a lot of people is her openness to continue, not just uh, as leader and then as a member of the caucus into the next election, but perhaps running again in the next election Mm. to support the NDP if that's what the party and the new leader want her to do. Yeah, absolutely. She certainly answered all questions. Uh, Can you describe that process to us, Laurie, the process of selecting a new leader and and the timeline that the NDP is up against? Well, there. Uh, well, right now is actually good timing in many ways. She uh, Notley was leader during the, um, the fall sitting. Now there's a, a significant break between now and the next sitting. We know what the process on paper is supposed to be, but some are expecting that process to change. So um, later this month, the party is going to meet. They'll they'll finalize what that process is actually going to look like. Um, and I'm my certainly it's possible that we will have a new NDP leader uh, in the spring and perhaps even for the spring sitting. Mm-hmm. Whatever happens with that leadership process, however, um, Notley is going to continue as leader until it's finalized. Uh, do you believe uh, that you know Ms. Notley was under pressure from within her party to make this decision, or was this wholly her her choice? The pressure, I think, just comes from the realities, um, and she en- enjoys enormous support. Most of the folks that are in her caucus are there because of her. Many of the folks who are donors and volunteers for the NDP. I mean, she basically put the party on the map as an alternative to to uh, the Conservatives. 
um, energize democracy in this province, and I think they were willing to wait uh, and trust in her judgment um, as to when it was that she wanted to, to step down. This way, as I say, we got that continuity, the her presence and experience, uh, along with that pretty impressive caucus uh, going into the fall sitting and now some time to to look at where the party's going to go from here and to open the door for that that conversation. I will say to continue. It's been going on, but quietly up until this point, and now it'll be on the surface. Well, not just a long time leader of the official opposition in the province, but former Premier Rachel Notley. Uh, what do you think her legacy will be years down the road there, Lori? A few things. I think, you know, her leadership, um, her style of leadership was was novel. I mean, she certainly built on the experience that she'd seen others, but she did things that we hadn't seen done before or, or done as effectively before. So uh, I was particularly struck by her her um, inclusive kind of, of leadership. We, many of us remember that the, the press conferences, for example, climate change, uh, or sorry, climate policy, uh, had a, had oil oil industry executives, uh, environmentalists, and indigenous leaders all there with her as she announced the plan, or during the Fort McMurray wildfires, having Brian Jean there um, daily on in those press conferences to, <clears throat> to speak to Albertans <clears throat> who were concerned about how the fire was progressing, uh, her ability to work with other premiers and bring them on side, and just ordinary Canadians to generate more support for for pipelines in general, uh, according to polling, that was dramatically affected by Notley. And, of course, Trans Mountain Pipeline uh, was brought in by her. Those are not the sorts of things most people would have expected from an NDP leader, but um, she's very much a pragmatist, and that, that was reflected in those policies. And, and then she also... You know, addressed child poverty, had the the, the new cancer center being built in in Calgary, uh, de-indexed uh, social supports for folks on H, H, etc., um, and increased the minimum wage. So she sort of balanced uh, a range of of policy issues, uh, and and again, for those reasons, was much more pragmatic and inclusive than than ideological. Uh, you had mentioned at the beginning of this interview, Laurie, and by the way, uh, spending some time this morning speaking with Laurie Williams, Mount Royal University political scientist. Uh, Laurie, the name uh, perhaps Kathleen Ganley as a replacement, but there are a handful of high-profile MLAs in the NDP caucus uh, that could be a fit. Is Kathleen the clear frontrunner, or do you see any other names or hear any other names that, that could be a possibility? I think it's a little soon to say who the front runner is going to be. I mean, Kathleen Ganley does have a pretty high profile. She was Justice Minister in Rachel Notley's government and is from Calgary. And I think there are a lot of folks who are thinking that a leader from Calgary, maybe even a name change, will will uh, help to position the NDP uh, uh, to contest the next election even more effectively than, than the NDP has done in the last two Um uh, certainly people are talking about folks like Sarah Hoffman, uh, Rocky Pacioli, maybe Najwan Gunaid. Um, the only one of those who has, has government experience would be Sarah Hoffman. But again, I think there could be somebody who's not, not in the NEP caucus right now who, who could be a really strong contender for this. Um, and again, a lot of people are saying a, a newcomer perhaps from, from Calgary or rural Alberta would be a, a, a stronger leader going forward and be able to appeal to a broader range of Albertans. Yeah, I know the name, uh, you know, former Mayor Nahed Nenshi has been thrown mm-hmm. around as perhaps some political aspirations beyond the city borders, so I guess we'll see. Uh, but as far as, you know, moving ahead with the NDP, uh, do you think that there's 
this would be the time or the opportunity for the party to rebrand or do a, a reimagining of, of their identity? And I know that's a, a double-edged sword. you got to keep the faithful, but at the same time, maybe to get, garner some no, new interest? You're absolutely right, Andy. It is a really delicate balance to strike. But you know, I, I was at a, a conference right after the, uh, the spring election, and um, a lot of people were saying, yeah, new name will help. And, and we all know, I'm sure you spoke to them. I certainly spoke to lots of folks who couldn't bring themselves to vote for the UCP and Daniel Smith because that conservatism does not reflect the kind of conservatism that, that they stand for, but couldn't, as conservatives, bring themselves to vote for the NDP. Now, some did it, we know, but some couldn't bring themselves to vote for a party called the NDP. And, and that's leading some to think that a name change, perhaps a, a new vision, an energized vision, could actually build on, on the incredible gains made by, by Rachel Notley and her, her party um, into, into something um, new and different and better going into the next election. Well, say what you want about 2024. It is not going to be boring in uh, provincial <laughs> politics. Uh, thanks for your time, Laurie. Thank you, Andy. That's Laurie Williams, Mount Royal University political scientist. If uh, you or a loved one is struggling with affordability and food prices, it doesn't look like there's much relief in sight. In fact, Loblaws has decided to cut back on the discounts they've been offering. Joining us to discuss this decision in food prices in 2024 is Sylvain Charlebois, professor and director of the Agri-Foods Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. Welcome back to the program and thanks for your time, Sylvain. My pleasure. Uh, can you break down for those folks maybe who they didn't shop at a Loblaws in Calgary? That would include, like, for example, the Superstore. Uh, what yep. the, the discount had been on the uh, food products and, and what they're doing with it? Yeah, well, typically uh, anywhere between 19 to 20% of, of consumers uh, out west uh, are looking for these enjoy tonight deals, you know, those last day sale items. Uh, you may have seen the 50% discounts or the 30% discounts, depending on where you shop. Uh, well, if you were looking at 50%, if you were finding 50% discounted products, uh, those products will, will be gone. Uh, I actually think that that the superstore, uh, that policy will end uh, this weekend. And so, uh, so it was not announced. There was nothing that came out of Loblaw. I just basically emailed Loblaw and asked, and asked them, well, is this true? Because I was hearing rumors the last couple of weeks, and they did confirm that, in fact, they were doing this. And so uh, so basically wrote a piece on it, and since then a lot of people are talking about this. Uh, what kind of an impact? How do you anticipate this change would impact vulnerable populations, especially, for example, like seniors who relied heavily on these 30 to 50 percent discounts for their for their groceries? Yeah, the two groups that uh, that we believe will be impacted by this change uh, are, are seniors or people on a uh, on a fixed income, obviously. And uh, and to the millennials, I mean, we tend to forget that millennials are, are economically active. And and that's the one group that actually uh, was impacted the most by uh, what has happened economically the last 18 months or so with higher interest rates, higher rents, uh, and things like that. So they were looking to spend less at the grocery store, and they were proactively looking for the for, for those enjoy tonight deals. And, and let me tell you, when you go to uh, the fresh section of the grocery store, and if you see a, a, a 50% tag, um, let's say you're looking at a piece of meat uh, retailed at 50 bucks. That's $25. It's a lot of money. Yeah. 
Absolutely. It's interesting. I wish we had some more time with you, Sylvain, but we're tight for time. Thank you so much for your insight this morning. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Sylvain Charlebois, professor and director of the AgriFruits Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University.